Well, this is my wife, Kathy. I'm a blessed man. Hallelujah. I'll let her share. Okay, you might be sorry you handed this microphone to me. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just going to, I want to read something to you. Um, what we've been doing at our church for the last, I don't know, maybe three, four Sundays now, um, we've been reading the Word of God out loud, okay, to the congregation. And different ones come up and read, you know, a couple chapters here and there. But it goes on for about 20, 25 minutes or so. And um, so I was thinking about maybe what I wanted to say tonight, this afternoon, and it came to me, I want to read from Psalm 34, because that's my favorite psalm. I know a lot of people in Psalm 91 is their favorite one, but I like Psalm 34, so I am going to read from, read that psalm to you tonight. And, um, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, and you will hear the Word of God, but there is something about declaring God's word, yeah. you know, reading it. And, you know, back in the book of Nehemiah when they were rebuilding the temple and stuff, they that's what they started to do. They began to read the word to the people because the people hadn't heard it for so long. And there was such power in it. And there's power in the word. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, my, wor- my words, you know, they're spirit and they're life. They're life. Yeah. They're just, it's living. It's living word. Yeah. So anyway, I want to read this to you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. I love that verse. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Whoa, this is just chock full of promises to us. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Praise the Lord. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And we know this is talking about Jesus here. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. And they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants. And none, none, none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Amen. Amen. This is just so encouraging. 
preaching today. And I just praise the Lord. I praise Him for His Word. And, you know, there's lots of stuff in there you can memorize. But it's just good. It's good. And it, it speaks to His faithfulness to us, you know. We do this. He does that. Yeah. Pastor's got a letter coming out this month called Cause and Effect. Okay? If you do this, then this is the result. And that's the, the word's full of that. That's yeah. his promises. But we have a part to play. We have something to do, right? Yeah. And our, our business is to know his word and keep his commandments. Yeah. You know, Jesus said you can't even be his disciple if you don't keep his commandments. Yeah. So we keep his commandments and we sow that word into our hearts. And glory. Amen. The results Amen. are awesome. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I'd like to thank you all for coming tonight. After a sermon like that, what do you do? This morning, I was talking about the Word and how uh, critical the Word is for our walk with God. How that a lot of churches are going to say we believe the Word, we teach the Word, we preach the Word, but when you get into what they're actually preaching and teaching, they don't always preach and teach what lines up with the Word. One of the things that um, I shared was the fact that if all the churches were truly preaching and teaching the Word the way God has given it, in context, line upon line, you wouldn't have so many denominations. And you wouldn't have churches on every street corner. It just wouldn't be like that. What I have discovered in my own life is that, uh, yeah, I was raised in church, but a lot of the things that I heard didn't really line up with the Word of God in context. Um, in Isaiah 28, there was God prophesied, and He said, um, and I'm going to paraphrase it, put it in my, my words, God said, Who will I teach doctrine? Who am I going to teach doctrine? And He goes on to explain how He teaches. He teaches line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how God teaches. In other words, God does not take Scripture out of context and try to create something. No, He leads you through His Word. And the thing is, as you go through the Word of God, what you're going to find out, if you really get into it, you're going to find out that uh, there's a, a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, a lot of people talk about, well, that theme is Jesus and redemption. I understand that. But there's a whole lot more. There is, you, it, the connection between everything in Scripture is just amazing. And what I've learned is you, you cannot just take something that you hear that you think sounds good and then live by it. I remember one time I was in a particular service, it was a camp meeting. They had a guest preacher came, uh, come in. He was doing the, the evening services. I don't remember that he was doing the afternoon services as well, but... This guy was really good. And what I mean by that is he was one of those preachers that when he stands up, he just captivates. You know, you, you just, you, you listen, just his style of delivery and so forth. And he had an incredible memory. I remember one service, he had everybody turn to a particular passage. I don't know where it was, Matthew or something. And, and he just stands there and he starts repeating this passage. And, you know, people are looking at their Bibles and looking at him and he just keeps going and going and going. That's impressive. And so when somebody stands up like that, and uh, and besides that, he was a handsome fella. So let's be honest, when somebody is attractive, male or female, you just tend to listen more. That's just how people are. 
Well, anyway, this one night he was teaching something and it started out sounding you know, really good. But as he got into it, I realized that's not right. That is, that is not at all right. But it sounded so good. I was sitting there thinking, man, I wish this was true because I'd like to preach it myself. But it wasn't true. It did not line up with the Word of God. And the next day, um, right before the, the morning service, there were a bunch of people gathered together. Oh, last night, wasn't that so good? Wasn't that? And I'm standing there listening. I'm thinking, no, it was not good. It sounded good. It was enthusiastic, but it was wrong, desperately wrong. It, it's the, See, listen, if it's not truth and you choose to live by it, God's not going to honor it. He only honors His Word. So you can take Scripture and you can make it sound so good, but if it's not truth, it will not produce. It will not work for you. Um, Why don't you go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 1. The whole thing of... uh, the whole matter of living, uh, you know, by the word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. This is one of the reasons why that God gave us the Holy Spirit. You know, Isaiah prophesied how that uh, in Isaiah 28, how that as we, uh, as God teaches us, how does He teach line upon line, precept upon precept, and then He said with with other tongues that He would teach us. Well, you get over to First um, Corinthians 14. Paul makes reference to that prophecy right in the middle of 1 Corinthians 14 when he is teaching about the value of tongues, especially praying in tongues. Now, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to be our teacher, in part, to be our teacher. Jesus said so. He said, when the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, He will uh, teach you all things. He'll lead and guide you into all truth. Then we get over into 1 Corinthians 14 and we find out how that as we're praying in tongues, our spirit is praying in direct communication with God. Well, what do you think is happening? Well, the Holy Spirit is moving, giving us that language, those words to pray out so that He can minister to us one-on-one. So if we want to know what God wants us to do, one of the best ways to do that is start developing a, a lifestyle of praying in the Spirit. And, you know, some folks would say, well, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me, I shared this morning how that um, I was raised to believe that tongues aren't for today. I was raised in a denomination that said, you must be born again, but tongues aren't for today. Yeah. Healing's not for today. That's how I was raised. So when someone comes and says, yeah, but you don't understand, the truth is, I do understand. I understand far more than what a lot of people realize. Well, tonight what we're going to do is... Um, Take a little look at this this whole aspect of line upon line and how it ties in when you begin to study Scripture, not just one book, but several books, and how there is a message related in several books that all ties together. It's not out of context. It all ties together. Uh, we, we've heard so much about faith, have we not? Yeah. And, you know, the, the just shall live by faith. And, and so when you're a Christian... And you ask other Christians, you know, are you living by faith? Well, who's going to say no? Who's going to say, nah, not me, I don't live by faith, you know, I, I just, you know, live however I want? Well, nobody's going to say that. So we all say that we live by faith. Um, and the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. So what happens is we begin to live by what we call faith when in reality what we're calling faith doesn't necessarily line up with what God is calling faith. Now, you're going to understand that 
as we get into this. If in uh, Colossians chapter 1, look here in verse 12. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now stop right there. Giving thanks unto the Father, Father God, obviously, which has made us meet to be partakers. In other words, he says, God has qualified us to be partakers. Not recipients, but partakers. Partakers of what we've already inherited through Jesus Christ. A partaker is somebody who has something and then begins to use it to his benefit. You understand that? I can have a car in my garage. I received that car when somebody gave it to me. But if I don't go out and drive it, it doesn't change the fact it's there. I just have not been a partaker of it. So he says that God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I am a recipient of this inheritance that he's talking about. But let's think for a moment. What is that inheritance? Well, some people might say, well, we've inherited eternal life. Okay, well, I won't disagree with that. Well, we've inherited heaven. I won't disagree with you there. But what else does that mean? See, I've inherited eternal life, but what does that mean to me? What does that mean? I've inherited eternal life. Okay, well, what is eternal life? Well, you won't, you, you won't go to hell. All right, well, praise God for that. But is that it? Because an inheritance, this word inheritance, it's talking more than just a singular item. It's talking about the fullness of what one person is leaving to another person. So what is the fullness that God has left me? Well, obviously, we don't have time to teach on that in one service. Nobody could. But if you get into the Word, you begin to find out what we have inherited. And the Old Testament, oh my goodness, it is full of promises, uh, prophetic promises to those who would be born again later on after Jesus had completed His work here on earth. But notice he says, He's made us be, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Well, He says He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's delivered us. We didn't deliver ourselves. It was a work of God to deliver us. And when it says delivered us from the power of darkness, you know, for years I thought that meant we've only been delivered from Satan. That's not what He's talking about. The problem is not Satan. Gee, listen, this may... The problem is not the devil for humans. The problem is the sin nature. Jesus didn't come to earth. Now hear me out. He didn't come to earth to deliver us from Satan. He came to deliver us from our lost condition. Because there are times in churches, we kind of heard a little bit about this this morning in uh, the Sunday school class, Christians sometimes put Satan up on a pedestal where he doesn't belong. From God's perspective, Satan is not really that big of a deal. The big deal is what happened when Adam sinned. When Adam sinned, he died spiritually. Jesus came to make sure that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Spiritual life, to be born again. So when he says that we've been delivered from the power of darkness... It wasn't the power of Satan that was taking us to hell. It was the power of the darkness of the sin nature wherein we were lost before God. And he says, 
that God has delivered us from the power of the darkness of the sin nature that was sending us to hell. So no longer am I bound by a sin nature. I've now been given the very life of God Himself. And He goes on to say that, that He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So I've been redeemed from that power of darkness, the power of the sin nature, by the blood of Jesus, and I have forgiveness of sins. Now, if you just meditate on these verses alone, it's going to help you walk free in this life. I've been redeemed. You know, there are so many songs, you know, I've been redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and so forth. We sing it, we talk it, but too many Christians don't live it. Well, he says that we've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, until we experience this redemption, until we experience being born again, we were not in the kingdom of His dear Son. So that means the moment that we get born again, we've been delivered from the power of the sin nature that was taking us to hell. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and spiritually translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. I am now in a place spiritually I never was. Well, now if I've been some, if I'm now someplace where I've never been, I don't know how to live where I've been. You understand what I mean by that? I remember several years ago, uh, Kathy and I were in Australia for ministry. Well, what we didn't know is that the people over there had rented a car for us to drive the whole time. Now, if you've never been in some of these other countries, some of these folks, they drive on the left-hand side of the road. And not only that, but the steering wheel is on the right-hand side of the car. Mm -hmm. So when they picked us up at the airport, they drove us straight to the car rental agency and they said, we got a car for you. And I'm thinking, I don't want a car. I don't want to be driving down here. And so you get in the car and, you know, here when you're a driver, you just get in on the left side of the car. No. I remember when I first started to get into the fellow's van, I opened what I thought was the correct side to get the driver's side, which to them is the right side. And he says, no, 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 you got to get on the other side. So there I am in this rental car. I'm The steering wheel is on the right-hand side, but I'm supposed to be driving on the left-hand side. What a challenge. I'd never been in a situation like that. So the jet plane had translated me from the United States into Australia Now I've got to figure out how to drive in the kingdom of Australia. You understand what I'm saying? I've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Praise God. But what that means is, until I learn about the kingdom, I don't know how to live in the kingdom. And herein is a major problem in the body of Christ. Every person who's born again has been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. But until we know how to operate in the kingdom... Guess what? We're not going to be able to successfully operate in the kingdom. And this is why there's so much what we perceive as far as, as failure in the body of Christ. It's because we, we don't know what we're doing. So what we try to do then is apply human logic to living in the kingdom. And God says, but that doesn't work. So then how in the world am I supposed to know how to live in the kingdom while I'm here on earth? Look over in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, 
We'll pick this up in uh, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, Peter wasn't the only one who received these keys. You don't have to turn to this, but in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it talks about how the law and the prophets were until Jesus, but since that time, the kingdom was being preached. Okay, so Jesus is preaching about a kingdom they can't enter into yet until he's completed his work on earth. So when he goes around teaching, basically what he's doing is teaching them prophetically about here's here's how it's going to be when I've finished my work down here and I've ascended back to the Father and you can put your faith in me to be born again, then you will enter into this kingdom and you'll be able to follow my pattern how I lived here on earth. Well, he says here that I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So therefore, what I need to do... now He's saying he's going to give the keys. Where are those keys going to be recorded? Well, obviously in the Word of God. But now notice this. Notice what else he says. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now here's what's interesting. You have a lot of Christians want to jump straight to whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. They forget that Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatsoever you bind and loose. You follow this? So if you don't know what the keys are or how to operate in the keys, you go running around trying to bind and loose things. You can't bind and loose. And so you have people out there. There are Christians. They try to bind and loose each other. They get mad at other Christians. Say, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Well, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Well, I bind you in the name. And back and forth it goes. And guess what? Nobody's binding anybody. It's not happening. Because once you begin to understand the keys to the kingdom, you begin to understand what you can bind and what you can't bind. What you can and cannot loose. But you've got to know what the keys are. So Jesus said, I'll give you the keys. Now we've been translated into the kingdom and if I need the keys to live in the kingdom, not just for binding and loosing, then obviously I'm going to find the keys to the kingdom in Scripture. All right, now let's go over to Mark chapter 9. One of the biggest challenges when it comes to, um, to living as a Christian, living by, the, by the, the kingdom keys and so forth, ha- has to do with faith. You know, we hear a lot about faith. Live by faith. Walk by faith. so on and so. And so then what we do is we say, well, I'm living by faith. But are we really? Now let's think about this. In Mark chapter 9, what's happened is this. Uh, the disciples were trying to cast the devil out of this, this man's son, and they couldn't do it. And so uh, the man was talking to Jesus, and he says, you know, can you please help? And if you pick this up, in Mark chapter 9, 
look in verse 22. Jesus is asking, you know, well, how long has this been going on? And the man answers, um, oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe it. See that? This, this is a statement for the body of Christ. This is a kingdom statement. It's not a living under the law of Moses statement. This is a kingdom statement. So if Jesus were in here right now, he would look at us and say the same thing. We would tell him all about our problems. Well, we've got this going on, got that going on. Jesus, can you help? And Jesus would say, well, if you can believe... All things are possible to him that believes. All things are possible. What all things? Not just all things. All things related to the kingdom. All things pertaining to life in the kingdom are possible if you can believe. If you look over in John chapter 14. So Jesus says all things are possible to him that believes. And in John chapter 14, Jesus says, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You know what's interesting? A lot of people, they skip the first part of chapter, or verse 12, and they go to the greater works. They try to figure out, well, what does he mean, greater works? It's like, well, wait a second. Before we start talking about the greater works, let's focus on that first part, where Jesus said, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also. So, are we going to skip that part and go straight to arguing about what greater means? We shouldn't because that doing his works is something he's emphasizing to us. Here's why we don't. a lot of Christians don't want to talk about this. It's because we basically never see or hardly ever see the works of Jesus being demonstrated through our lives. So, I don't want to talk about that too much. Why? Because it reveals something doesn't seem to be working in me the way that it should be working in me. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Then he says in here, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. So, now here we are. All things are possible to him that believes. The works that I do, you shall do also if... You believe on me, if you believe. So then if the works aren't happening the way that I think they should happen, there must be something wrong with my believing. But who wants to admit that? Who who wants to stand up and say, oh yeah, you know, I believe God, but you know, I really don't believe. Because if if I did, I'd be doing the works of Jesus. And, and here's, here's a problem. We go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and we take Jesus and everything he did and we put him so high up above us that we can't reach him we can barely see him and then we don't want to come into agreement with what he says in his word but yet in the old testament it states can two walk together except they be agreed so jesus says if you believe on me the works i do you shall do also what are you going to do with that he says if you believe on me the works i do you shall do also and we sit back and think, yeah, but wait a minute, Jesus, you know, you caused the blind eyes to open. He says, yeah. Well, you caused the deaf people to hear. He says, yeah. Well, you caused the lame people to walk. Yeah. You cast out demons. Yes, I did that. You raised the dead. Yes, I did. And he looks at you and says, and the problem is what? 
But you're saying that if I believe in you, that I, I can do these things. And he says, yeah, you can. We are so used to not doing any of this that we just accept, well, maybe it's not for me. But now, wait a minute. That is not what Jesus says. That's not what's in the Word. The Word says, Jesus says, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Jesus said, All things are possible to him that believes. What are we going to do with that? Let's just get right to it. The bottom line is this. If we're not seeing this come to pass in our lives, something is wrong with our believer. Something is wrong on the inside. In other words, we're not believing as much as what we say we are. And it all goes back to the whole issue of faith. Now let's take a look here. Go back to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Now in Matthew chapter 17, this is uh, the same story of the man who had a son. The son was possessed by a devil. The apostles couldn't cast him out. The man brings his son to Jesus and Jesus casts the devil out. Well, we pick this up in Matthew chapter 17. And in verse 19 it says, Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? Now think about this. If you ask God a question and he gives you an answer, he's not going to lie to you. He's going to tell you the truth. So they say, why could not we cast him out? Why are they asking that question? Because they thought they should be able to cast him out. Why would you ask that question unless you believed you should have been able to do so? Oh, why couldn't I do it? I mean, I'm good enough. I could, I should, why couldn't I do that? And so Jesus, he gives them the answer, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. That's why. Why couldn't we cast him out, Jesus? He says, because of your unbelief. And I'm sure these guys are thinking, what unbelief? We've been walking with you how long now? I mean, you've used us to do other things. And you say because of our unbelief? No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. We would, if we didn't believe, we wouldn't be walking with you. We wouldn't be traveling with you. And Jesus could look at them and say, you ask me a question. And I'm telling you why you couldn't cast them out. Because of your unbelief. And then he goes on to give them an answer. He didn't just leave them hanging there. He said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. What did he say earlier? He said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. He says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, a lot of people take that 21st verse and they say, aha, see there? Unless you pray and fast, you can't cast out demons. That is not what Jesus said. He's talking about prayer and fasting are how you deal with this unbelief. The question was, how come we couldn't cast him out? He didn't say because you haven't prayed and fasted. He said because of your unbelief. And so therefore, he's giving an answer, a kingdom key, one of the kingdom keys on how to deal with unbelief. Now, he makes this statement about the, the mustard seed. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. How many have, uh, of you have seen people with these necklaces that have that little bitty tiny you know, mustard seed on the inside? 
And people say, and sometimes maybe even in a service, you know, a preacher might hold something like that up and say, can you see that where you are, that little bitty thing? Why, if your faith, it was just this big. Why, you could do this and you could do that. That is not what Jesus is saying. Because this is the second time he's brought up the aspect of the mustard seed. The first time was in Matthew chapter 13. Now turn over here. I'll show this to you. Matthew chapter 13. We're just going to begin reading here in verse 32. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which, when a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree. It it becomes so big, it becomes a tree, that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So now Jesus has already given them the example of the mustard seed. And he says, when the mustard seed is planted, and when the mustard seed grows, it becomes bigger than everything else around it. That's why over in Matthew 17, when he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, then your faith would grow to the point to where it's going to be bigger than anything this devil can do. And at that point, you will be able to cast that devil out. But right now, you're dealing with unbelief. Another way to say that is, your mustard seed faith has not yet grown big enough to deal with this particular issue. Now, this brings up a real question. What am I supposed to do then to get my faith where it needs to be? Well, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You see, in the body of Christ, um, when I... I was raised in church, accepted Jesus as Savior, and then for about five years, man, I walked away from God. You know, drugs, drinking, so on and so forth. Well, um, in 1981, I came back to God, recommitted my life to Him, and, uh, you know, Kathy and I got married in February of 82. And uh, we were in a church that believed in born again, filled the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, signs, wonders, miracles, healing, etc., and so forth. Well, I just kind of thought that I had faith. You ever heard this, the phrase guilt by association? Well, I thought I had faith by association. You know what I'm talking about? Well, now I'm a part of a church that believes all this, so I guess I've got faith. Well, I wasn't getting faith results. Well, then I hear faith teachers, you know, do this, do that, so on and so forth. And so I was doing what I heard, or at least I thought I was. But I still wasn't getting the results. Well, it's because I was going by, I was going more by what I was hearing from a pulpit than what I was seeing in the Word of God. And that makes a massive difference. So now look, take a look here in Hebrews chapter 12. Now remember, the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is the moment that we were redeemed by His blood and translated out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So, we're focusing here on Jesus. Because without Jesus, you can't be redeemed. We understand that. All right, now, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. All right, now what that means is this. 
without Jesus, this faith is not in us. There's no potential to accomplish what we need to accomplish. We first off have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. At that point, we look unto Jesus who is the author of our faith. Meaning, until I got born again, I didn't have that kind of faith in me. But the moment I got born again is the moment that, say it like this, the mustard seed of that kind of faith was planted within me. All right, now I have to do something to get that that mustard seed to grow. But I want you to see another passage of Scripture. Go to Galatians chapter 2. And you'll see this borne out even more clearly. Galatians chapter 2. And look what the Apostle Paul says in um, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith... And what's that next word? Of. Of. I live by the faith of the Son. If you have a Bible and it says the faith in the Son of God, honestly, nothing personal, you need to get rid of that Bible and get a different one. Because he says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say, well, what's the difference? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I'm not living by a lost condition. People in the Old Testament had faith. We know that. Abraham demonstrated faith. But the faith that Abraham demonstrated was not the Jesus-authored-in-him faith. The kind of faith that we live by is the faith that Jesus lived by here on this earth. And it only comes when you get born again. And this is what a lot of Christians don't seem to understand. So what they do is... They begin, they, they don't even get into the Word to find out what kind of faith they now have and can live by. So they just start living by, I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith. Okay, yeah, but what kind of faith? Well, I'm li- I believe in God. Well, the Bible says that the devils believe there's one God and they tremble. So believing in God is not enough. People in the Old Testament believed in God. No, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So now I've got a different kind of faith. I have what you could call a kingdom faith on the inside of me. This is what I'm supposed to live by. And the Apostle Paul makes this statement. The life that I now live in the flesh, now that I'm born again, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, the faith that the Son of God has authored in me. That's why I, Paul, am able to do all the things that I'm doing. It's because I'm not living by human faith. I'm not living by works faith. I'm not living by world faith. I am living by the faith of Christ that was authored in me the moment that I got born again. Okay, this brings up another question. If that faith in me is uh, symbolically represented by a mustard seed, then what am I supposed to do to get that faith to grow so that I can get to the place of being able to do everything that Jesus said I can do. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Okay, I want to get to that place of all things being possible. Jesus said, 
Nothing, he said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you know, nothing would be impossible unto you. Okay, I want to get to that place where nothing is impossible to me. Jesus, he's walking along the road, and there's a blind man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus says, bring him here. And the man, they bring this blind man to Jesus, and Jesus looks at the guy, and he says, what do you want? Well, that should be simple. You know, I want my vision. But Jesus asked him, because he wants this guy to speak it. I, here's what I want to receive from you. You know, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus says, okay, receive your sight. That was it. That was the end of it. Other times, people, they wanted healing for this, healing for that. It didn't matter. Any, everybody who went to Jesus for healing received it. Every single person. And he didn't act like it was any big deal. Now, what I mean is, he didn't act like it was an effort to get it done. And how many times do we scream and shout and yell and, and do all this, to, you know, to try to see something happen? But Jesus says, look, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. You believe in me. The works that I do, you shall do also. He, he says it as though we're supposed to believe it. And so I want to get to that place of having that kind of faith operate in me. And I can tell you right now, there are a lot of Christians that would struggle mightily with this message. But my question would be, what do you see in Scripture where God says, now that you're born again, I want you to keep living by faith that is associated with people who are lost. I don't want you living by... I, there's, no, there's no other faith for you. No, He tells me that Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith as a believer. Okay, so what do I do to get this faith to be developed? Well, look over in Romans chapter 10. It's not terribly complicated. It's in Scripture. Romans chapter 10. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let's say it a little bit differently. Faith that's been authored in you by Jesus Christ is nourished by the word of God. It is nourished and fed by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Okay, I've got this mustard seed, this kingdom faith mustard seed on the inside of me. Now, it's there. If I don't do my part, it's not going to grow. So, what do I have to do? Well, first thing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's amazing how many Christians are, are claiming to live by faith, but they don't get into the Word. Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. But they don't get into the Word. Now, I can't speak for anybody here, but I can speak for myself. Um, in, my, in my car, I have uh, the Bible, the recording of the Bible. And really, more times than not, I won't be listening to music. I won't be listening to preaching. I will be listening to the Bible. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So as I'm listening to it, guess what? Faith is coming. Earlier tonight... Uh, my wife, Kathy, stood up, read Psalm 34 to you. Guess what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do you realize when she was reading Psalm 34, it was feeding the faith that Jesus authored in us the moment we got born again. Our faith was being fertilized tonight because, G because Kathy was reading the Word of God to us. So, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, if I want to have this mustard seed faith, the kind that grows and becomes bigger than any problem I'll ever face, 
bigger than any you know mountain I'm looking at, wondering how in the world am I ever going to overcome this, fix this, you know, how's it going to change? If I want that kind of faith that gets bigger than anything I encounter, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, I have to get in the Word. This is not an option. Now, you see, you can be born again, never get in the Word, and still go to heaven. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Alright, look over in Romans chapter, I mean, uh, Jude. Uh, there's only one chapter, Jude chapter 1. And here in Jude chapter 1, look at verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in tongues. Building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then he says here that you build yourselves up on your most holy... What is my most holy faith? The faith that Jesus authored in me. See, you can live your whole life as a Christian by world faith. You, people out there in the world right now talk about living uh, by faith and, and they don't even, they're not even born again. But we can live by a faith that comes straight from the throne of God authored in us by Jesus Christ the moment we got born again. That seed will be in there dormant our entire lives, but it will be there. But if we act on what God says, now these are kingdom keys for living by faith in the kingdom. If we act on this, then our faith begins to grow. It begins to develop like that, that illustration of the mustard seed. So, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now look over in Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, take a look at verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I build myself up on my most holy faith by praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost. And as I'm praying this way, I am keeping myself in the love of God. Then I find out that the Holy Ghost sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Okay, now, now just to illustrate, think of it like this. If there's unbelief in my heart and the Holy Ghost, I, I'm, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, I'm praying in tongues, building myself on my, up on my most holy faith, the Holy Ghost, uh, I'm keeping myself in the love of God, and then the Holy Ghost is doing what? He's shedding the love of God abroad in my heart. Well, if He's shedding it abroad, something's getting pushed out. You understand what I'm getting at? What's getting pushed out? Well, one thing that's getting pushed out is the unbelief. And then if you look over in uh, Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, look here at verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. That phrase, which worketh, you could say is energized. But faith which is energized by love. Okay, what kind of love? The love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts. People out there in the world, lost, going to hell, there is a human love. But that is not the kind of love. In fact, over there in 1 John chapter 4, it talks about God is love. This love that he's talking about, this is what you might call kingdom love. This is God's love. It's not human love. This is God's love. 
faith, the, the kingdom faith that I need to operate by in this life, it is, he says right here, worketh. It is energized by love. What love? The love of God that's been shed abroad in my heart. So therefore, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I build myself up on my most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping myself in the love of God. The Holy Ghost is shedding the love of God abroad in my heart and faith works by love. Now I understand what it's going to take for me to get to that place of nothing being impossible unto me, my faith growing and developing to the place. It's bigger than any problem that I could ever face. It's bigger than any sickness, any disease, any affliction, any injury, any anything. You know, uh, Peter's wondering how in the world are we going to pay the temple tax? Jesus wasn't, wasn't worried one bit. He said, go fishing, the first fish you catch, open its mouth, take out the money and pay the tax. Do you know how bizarre that would have sounded to Peter? But Jesus said it like, it's no big deal, go get me a burger and fries. I mean, it was so simple to him. So Peter did it and guess what? Got the money. That's nuts. Not in the kingdom. It makes perfect sense in the kingdom. Over and over again, when we look unto Jesus, meaning study Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how Jesus operated. Well, He's the author and the finisher of our faith, which makes it possible for us to do what He said, if you believe in Me, the works that I do, you shall do also. But unless we get into the Word, unless we sow it and sow it and sow it, so that the faith can come, unless we're praying in the Holy Ghost to be built up on our most holy faith, unless we're allowing that love of God, not human love, but God's love, to be working on the inside of us, shed abroad in our hearts. And guys, guess what? We're not going to be able to fully live by kingdom faith the way God has described in His Word. So now what does this mean? It means if we do everything that we're seeing here in the Word of God concerning our faith then we will end up having the same kind of operational faith that Jesus had when he was on the earth. That means we will be able to minister to people and the blind eyes will open. The deaf ears will open. Every disease, every sickness will be removed from people's bodies. Um, The people who are maimed, they will be made whole. Devils will be cast out. Too many Christians make such a big deal of casting out devils. But Jesus, he operated at a level of faith to where if devils showed up, he just told them to leave. And they left. It was not that big of a deal unto him. The more that we get into the Word, the more that we pray in the Spirit, the more that this is developed in us is the more that we begin to see the results that God has promised in His Word. The just shall live by faith. Not just a mental agreement with what the Word says, but the faith that has been authored in us by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the kingdom faith that we need every day in our lives. All we have to do is get into the Word, pray in the Spirit, spend time with God. It happens. Pray in the Holy Ghost, and guess what? You're being built up on your most holy faith. It's so simple. You just sit and pray in the Spirit. And your faith is being impacted. Every time you get into the Word and read it, every time you hear the Word being read to you, okay, it's touching your faith. It's nourishing your faith. Faith is coming. It's so simple. It doesn't matter if you feel anything or not. This is a standard that God has declared. It is a promise. It is a kingdom key. It will not fail. It works every time. This is what I want for my life. This is what I'm pursuing because the more I do that is the more that I am conforming to the image of the glory of Christ that God spoke of in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Growing and maturing into the fullness of that image. 
Praise God. Praise God. I want operational faith. And I can have it. Glory to God. Why don't you go ahead and stand? What's really sad about a lot of the faith teaching that's been out there, the focus has been on getting more money, getting more stuff. You know what? When all these people are sitting in in services, sitting in wheelchairs, blind, partially blind, I mean, on and on it goes, they don't really care how much money you have. But if you can minister to me so that my body is made whole, then praise God. Praise God. My faith needs to be developed for one reason only, and that is for God's kingdom purposes here on earth. Praise the Lord. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You so much that Your Word cannot fail. Father, these things that we've heard tonight, they're truth. Whether we want to accept them or not, it's still truth and it's not going to change. It will never change. These are the standards. These are the patterns. These are the ways. This is how it works for us as Your children in the kingdom. And Father, I pray for me, for all the people watching and listening to this, that we'll come to the place of understanding faith and the development of faith. It's not just some sovereign act that God is going to perform in our lives, but that, Father, it is the result of what we do when we get into the Word. This is not works of the flesh, but, Father, it's a work of the Spirit within us. Praise Your holy name, Father. Thank You. Thank You so much. Thank You so much. I don't know who uh, this is for. It may be for more than one person. But somebody hearing this, maybe not even in this room, it may be um, a YouTube person. Somebody uh, who's heard this tonight, you've been wondering, how come I'm not getting results in my life? Well, you just heard the answer. God wants you to know, This is how you can start getting results. This is how you can start seeing things happen. It's not because God has been holding back on you. It's not because God God is favoring other people more than you. These principles that we've seen in the Word tonight, they are for every single Christian. So be encouraged tonight. Be encouraged to know that you are not lesser in the kingdom. You're as great as anybody else. And if you will apply these standards... These principles, you too will begin to see things happen because your faith will become bigger than all that stuff that you're facing. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' wonderful and holy name, amen.